You're listening to Intrepid Healthcare's exclusive coverage of Him 17 Annual Conference and Exhibition. Welcome to our special Join the Conversation show direct from Him 17 in Orlando. Join the Conversation is brought to you by Experian Health. Experian Health, leading the way to help their clients power opportunities to create a better tomorrow. And now, here are your hosts, Joe Lavelle and Todd Yuri. All right, I am Joe Lavelle. I'm so excited to be bringing you Join the Conversation with my co-host, Todd Yuri from Experian Health Booth right here at HIM 17 Todd, let's give a quick shout-out to our partners, Experian Health. What a great experience we've had so far with them at HIMSS. So I've been told by our guests that they have the absolute most comfortable floor <laughs> in the showroom. So give it up for Experian Health, providers of industry-leading revenue cycle management, identity management, patient engagement, and care management solutions that power today's healthcare environments and value-based healthcare. And comfortable and floors. Comfortable so they are floors. taking care of the health of the people working their booth <laughs> exactly. who have to walk on this all day. Exactly. All right, Todd, let's introduce our distinguished guest. We both are fans, as are many of the people listening. Mandy Bishop, Chief Evangelist and Co-Founder of Aloha Health. Mandy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. I'm and really I'll excited. I'll date myself by saying, if you know this movie, I'm not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> Thank awesome. you, Wayne. Thank you, Garth. All right, Mandy. Before Party we start a discussion, could you just give the audience a little bit about you and your background and tell us at the end of that what a chief evangelist does. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So I'm Mandy Bishop. I began my life as a nine-year-old girl with a PC junior who learned how to program basic and have it sing Mary Had a Little Lamb to me, (laughs) but did not at that time think that computers offered a career path opportunity. And so I went on to pursue a liberal arts degree, although I continued my love affair with my computer and taught my students at Florida State University from a web page and forced them to use email and listservs and all these new technologies that were kind of unfamiliar and decided about halfway through my first semester of teaching that that was not for me and that I really had a passion for STEM and I really had a passion for technology and was hired by my first web development professor halfway through that semester and never looked back. So I've been in computers professionally my entire career, although it's a complete deviation from my educational background. And I went on to most recently, I ran the Global Healthcare Analytics Innovation and Consulting Division of Dell. And six months ago, I left Dell, which is now NTT Data, and founded Aloha Health. And so Aloha is focused 100% on taking the 95% of the life context that happens with social and behavioral determinants and making that life context actionable for program design decision support, as well as clinical interventions and personalized engagement experiences. I've been a fan now for about three years, Mandy, and saw what you were doing in Dell and how you were leading. And when I heard about Aloha Health, I was so excited about this interview because I'm like, Joe, this is the first time I'm actually hearing about Aloha Health officially. So dig deeper into how Aloha Health is aligning itself with other healthcare organizations. Sure. We have the really unique opportunity, the data that we're looking at and and the ability to really do program design from an innovative standpoint through leveraging all all of these social and behavioral economics data points, we've got a universe that we're working with of about 350,000 data points that we have captured and accessed 
through commercially available data, publicly available data. So the data sources that we're using to gather information about you and who you are and, and about your family and your community and how you live and what you trust and what you don't trust and what you like and what you don't like, we're able to take that data and identify what's clinically relevant and what is likely to be clinically relevant and what is likely to apply to a dimension like a social isolation. And so am I able to understand, are you lonely? And this particularly applies to senior populations. Like, are you lonely? And if you're lonely, what are the factors that are contributing to that? Like, are you challenged from a transportation perspective? Are you insecure from a food perspective? Do you have insecurities around your housing? Do you have family support? Do you have anyone who lives in your area that you can reach out to? Do you have community services that are available to help you? So all of those things matter as our industry is continuing to go towards risk management, risk-bearing organizations. We're looking at ACO models. We're looking at moving towards value-based care. Being able to provide value to the patients and being able to provide value to the communities drives revenue, drives value realization for both payers as well as providers. If you're able to address all of the reasons that an individual human being isn't able to manage their health effectively, then you are able to improve their clinical outcome. You're able to improve the cost effectiveness of the program that you're designing and the engagements that you're spending thousands and thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, instituting. You're able to adjust appropriately so that you you can personalize that experience and optimize the revenue that you're putting into it as well as the clinical and the cost outcomes that are affected. Outstanding. I'm totally mesmerized. <laughs> you have a couple of data nerds just waiting on everything you're saying, Mandy. Could you give us a couple of examples of how you're helping particular clients just so we get a flavor of how you're taking all that data and really how providers are in plans or payers are using that data. Yeah, so it's very interesting, right? And it's very specific to use cases. And what can be challenging when you are a a young, innovative startup, if if you don't have the healthcare deep background, it can be very tough to speak healthcare's language. So I can jump up and down and scream all I want about the fact that social determinants matter, and we all know that they matter. But if I can't tie why a social determinant model like we are building and why this approach, how this ties to a risk adjustment methodology that could be directly applicable for an insurance organization looking at Medicare populations, right? If I can't speak that language, if I can't say when you're adjusting for your diabetes population, if you want to be looking at a diabetes population health management program, the diabetic patient who lives in, 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 I'll use my area code as an example, or where I live. I live in Jacksonville. This is one of the markets where we're working. I'm grateful because I get to stay home. I'm (laughs) not on a plane every day. But there are over 100 different neighborhoods in Jacksonville, and each one of those neighborhoods has its own flavor, right? And each one of those flavors has various socioeconomic and demographic makeup and different cultural behaviors within those communities. And so when you're designing a diabetes management program, if you're designing one in my area of town, high walkability, absolutely no community service involvement, high healthcare availability, high mobility of the population, affluent people, we are diabetic for a different reason than the people who live in a zip code that's considered in crisis, which is 32209 in my area. And the access to food, the access to transportation, the safety, there are 57 active gangs in Jacksonville. Hmm. So the ability for them to walk the streets is incredibly limited. So those are the types of program level decision support that we're able to affect for risk-bearing organizations, whether they're providers or whether they're payers are our primary market right now as far as being able to help them understand and speak the language about why these things matter and being able to show them the financials involved with applying this type of very targeted decision support. 
to their programs. So as you're talking now, my gears are turning and I'm starting to realize where that connection is that I definitely didn't understand and the type of population demographic dig down that you're doing, which brings me to the question about analytics. I mean, that's a buzzword that's been thrown around for quite some time in healthcare. What are your observations about whether the industry is actually using analytics or they're just talking about it to be part of the conversation? We're going to be getting to see a continued growing divide between the organizations that have the infrastructure to support truly advanced analytics efforts who can afford large IT departments or can afford the due diligence necessary to effectively implement cloud-based technologies, right? There are a lot of solution providers who can do advanced analytics. That's their core competency. And we are seeing there's a ton of the cloud vendors here. Hims is wonderful to go out and get a feel for who is doing what in the space. But the entity that's doing that decision-making has to understand what the business problem is that they're trying to solve. So I think we're at this really interesting place as an industry where the technology exists, the tools exist. We can use everything from regular business intelligence, being able to look at trending over time, to machine learning and deep learning and artificial intelligence. The technology exists, and so we're no longer solving a technology problem. We're solving an access problem. We're solving an education problem. And we're solving a lack of business acumen around being able to define Define the business problem so that we can understand what direction from an analytic standpoint we should take in order to address that problem. A lot of the times we're trying to hammer a square peg into a round hole. We're trying to apply an artificial intelligence solution to something that really is a BI problem, right? Like we want to go after and chase the shiny, sexy objects. Right. And so we are an industry that loves shiny, sexy objects. And there are some organizations that can afford to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars chasing those shiny, sexy objects that may have a bearing on 1% of the population that they're trying to affect, as opposed to taking a broader-based approach and, and really doing due diligence around the solution that would be most effective to the problem that they're really trying to solve and understanding the problem and then identifying a solution that's based on that problem. I think that our problem-solving rubric as an industry is very immature. So I think the tools are mature, and I think that our consideration of those tools in our space is very immature. Absolutely. Mandy, I still remember the time last year when HITSM chat was covering social determinants of health. And when I got the notice that that's what it was, I had to look up what it meant. <laughs> so that's how new yeah. this is for me. And then shortly after, I was reading all about your Aloha Health, and you guys were creating a whole company around it. Is there any other activity happening out there? Are there other companies? Or I realize that you're always going to be involved on the leading edge of a new effort like this, but who else is involved in the discussions? Or are you guys really driving all of it? Well, you know, it's interesting. So the social determinants of health has been gaining a lot of traction as a hashtag and now as a broader industry conversation. But community and public health departments, this is what they've been doing, right? And so it's interesting as you look at the definition of population health and how that's changed over time. Population health used to be primarily focused on social determinants of health and then layering in the medical conditions that arise from population and your socioeconomic status and all of the challenges that come from various socioeconomic status and access to care and access to food. That used to be the definition of population health, and now the concept has morphed into, you know, if you're a population health vendor, then you're thinking about a population health platform, and it's disease-specific. And so now we think about population as a particular disease state that we can attribute a provider population to so that we can create a capitated revenue model, right? Like, that's how we think about population health now. 
But the social determinant space has been around for a long time. And so federally qualified health centers, community health centers, the managed care organizations have a lot of discussions and really adore Fred Goldstein, right? The president of Accountable Health. And Fred has been doing managed care organizations for, I think, three decades, right? And he and I have many conversations, and he's just been instrumental in helping me shape my thinking around our go-to-market strategy. And what we're doing with technology is what he's been doing with people for 30 years. So he has been understanding that you have to address the life problems before you can address a health problem. So if I have a single mom who's coming to me who has cancer, who's going to need to go through infusion therapy, but she has three young children and she doesn't have access to transportation, I have to figure out how to address the life problem that this single mother faces before she is going to be able to remotely consider her health. Health is going to be a secondary consideration if you're starving or Health is going to be a secondary consideration if you're agoraphobic and you can't leave your house. There are all of these other things that need to be taken into consideration before and our primary concern for our patients and for our communities. And there are companies that are thinking about this. And so what we see a lot, there are a number of players in this space. The vast majority of them are creating really amazing dashboards so they can tell you, they can give you a lot of insights about the health of the patients and the the, the communities that you serve. So they can tell you a lot about those social and behavioral determinants. What we have not seen and where we believe that we're breaking new ground is in saying that, okay, so, so what and what now? What do I do with this information? So a doctor has seven minutes in front of a patient. If you have seven minutes in front of a patient, you don't have time to try to understand how the fact that this person doesn't have electricity in their home, like you don't have time to consider all the ways in which that should impact the care plan or the engagement pathway that you would follow with this person. Clearly, if they don't have electricity at their home, they're not interested in digital engagement. So please don't push an app on me, right? Something that fundamental. If they're a diabetic, they may or may not have access to a running refrigerator. So if they're insulin dependent, you've got to start thinking about how are you going to help this person manage their condition if they don't have access to care. And those are the kinds of things that we think about and that we're building these decision models around so that we can recommend deviations from the norm, right? Because physicians and practices, they follow institutional protocols. They follow clinical protocols. And so what we're doing is helping recommend alternative clinical protocols and alternative engagement protocols as a result of these findings. And so we think that that's really what is new about what we're doing. Do you see this evolving such that a health plan will charge more in this zip code than that zip code because the social determinants of health? I would hope not. (laughs) I think that being able to get to that level of granularity would be very tough. It depends on how well regulated the insurance market remains, right? So right now it's so heavily regulated that being able to make adverse selection, that would be an adverse selection, right? So adverse selection is prohibited and and being able to make adverse selection around your geography at that micro level, I think would be discouraged, but it depends on the regulatory environment. So what I'm hopeful will happen and what our goal is in working with partners, we have one national insurer who is a very, very progressive partner who are kind of key collaborators with us. and, And I love the way that they think about these programs. So they've done things like contracted with Home Depot to build ramps for senior communities so that that they can prevent a fall rather than pay for the aftermath of a fall. Wow. So they're never thought of that. Yeah. So, and and that's because a fall precipitates any number of healthcare conditions. A lot less expensive than a ramp. Yeah, exactly. And so if you're thinking about having a population of people be healthier, if you're looking at a senior population, that's fundamental, preventing a fall, right? So physicians are assessing fall risk. That's one of their quality measures, right? That they have to ask about fall risk. 
and yet we're not actually trying to address the risk of falls and we're not trying to prevent falls. And so this, this insurer is thinking about those problems. So we've been very blessed to have this early partner and collaborator in thinking through how the insurers have the opportunity. They can design reimbursement programs, especially in the commercial space as well as in Medicare. CMS is starting to come out with more and more preventive medicine reimbursement methodology. So the Medicare Diabetes Prevention Program is a good one. That's a new program that's been introduced this year. So provider groups are credentialing this year with the CDC to be allowed to do this. And the next year they'll be reimbursed for it. The place of care, the place of service can be in the community and their outcomes are weight specific. So have you lost weight and did you maintain a weight loss? But how that program is designed, where it's delivered, who the partners are that can help you deliver that program effectively for the patients that you're serving is an open-ended opportunity. So those are the types of really progressive reimbursement programs that we're going after, as well as the partners and the collaborators that we're looking at. So I believe that like everything else in the data space, there is always an opportunity for evil, right? There's always an opportunity for nefarious use of your Mm -hmm. findings. But our focus is always going to be on trying to find the good and all of the ways in which what we're doing can be used for good. Well, maybe the positive spin on that is the way they're able to price the plan is by understanding the geography they're covering. I have two lives in this very expensive zip code and 50 lives in this cheaper one. So maybe I don't have to charge that much in Florida. Right. Well, and even something as fundamental, a lot of the times they're looking at a national level that their profit and loss and looking at the different market projections and they aren't able to look at this micro level. Something this fundamental happened a few weeks ago. I was speaking to one of our clients and they didn't realize that the hospitals that they were contracted in and their membership concentration, I showed them on a map. Like I just pulled up a geospatial analysis and I said, okay, these are the hot spots. Like this is a heat map of your membership and this is a heat map of the hospitals where you're networked and never the two shall pass. It was a really interesting conversation and it's in their data. It's been in their data all along, but just the ability to see it and the ability to visualize the fact that your ED utilization for non-network and your ambulance utilization for out-of-network ED and ambulance is incredibly high. And it's because the hospitals where you're contracted are not in the space where your members live. So that's something that fundamental. There's a lot of opportunity for these things. So I'm listening to you. And ultimately, the answer to this question is the patient. So the question is, who is your customer? And ultimately, it is the patient. However, it sounds like you're consulting and or providing a solution to an insurance company. Is that your we customer? Have- Our end customer, the end consumer, is always going to be the patient and their caregivers, right? So the patient and their families, they are the beneficiaries. So I'll just say that. They are the beneficiaries. They are ultimately who we are trying to help. So they are where we start in all of our considerations. Who pays for our services is either a health system or an insurer. So those are the two entities that we are focused on partnering with from a financial perspective. But at the end of the day, having the opportunity to help patients is always where we start. Very good. Yeah. Now I understand. (laughs) You know, patient engagement, we probably talked with 90% of our guests about patient engagement. Is this going to evolve (laughs) to a point where we can really engage the patient on social determinants of health? Yeah. So what we're using, it's interesting. So patient engagement drives me a little crazy. I love to walk the floor and see all the digital health engagements. I really, really love it. I have yet to see a market where a substantial portion of the people in that marketplace have a long-term vested interest in 
digital health advantage. They don't necessarily believe that there's an app out there that can help them effectively manage their health. They are willing to try it. They're willing to try it with varying degrees of trust depending upon who the source of information is. The doctor always much more trustworthy than the insurance provider, mm -hmm. for example. Like those right. kinds of things that wouldn't surprise you. But the engagement can't succeed if we, as a system, decide the kind of engagement we're going to force and don't listen and don't understand what kind of engagement is going to be effective and what is desired. Like, if I have entire populations who text rather than use a smartphone app, like they may have a smartphone, but they don't use apps on it. They don't use the internet connectivity. They only yep. want to do SMS engagement. That's the medium in which I need to operate in order for that to be successful. And even something as simple as Uber, right? There's a lot of really cool opportunity to partner with Uber to solve transportation or, or others, you know, Lyft to others, to solve for transportation challenges and, and ambulances. But that only works for patients who, again, have smartphone and have the app and are willing and comfortable using this level of digital engagement. So I think that we need to get to a place if we want to truly adopt useful patient engagement strategies. I think we want it to be effective. We always have to consider why would this person use this? Is this person comfortable operating in this environment? Do they have access to everything that they would need in order for this to be successful? Do they understand why this matters? And do they understand what is the benefit to them? And right now, we're really not bothering to solve any of those problems. Right now, as an industry, we're just pushing different types of engagement technologies and engagement methodologies down people's throats. And yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not working. I mean, <laughs> since we're just friends, no one's going to listen to this. <laughs> this we listening. can talk, right? I mean, I think, I, well, you've always, I'm, I'm a straight shooter, listening. right? I don't, I, I don't BS anybody. I wish engagement was different. But the fact is, even if a hospital did great, mm -hmm. there's four hospitals in Mobile. Right. My family's been to all four. We have medical records in all four. They're not on the same system. If one of the hospitals had a great system for engagement, we didn't get the choice when our doctor... It made us go to surgery to right. a different hospital. So that's going to have to change that. Right. Either the hospitals cooperate or the patient gets to be the center of the universe. Right. And we build out from the patient. Right. I would love, as you were just saying that, I, I would love to see a way for communities and patients to drive, like to, for, for these types of behavior networks to drive network contracts so that I can see where your family needs to go and like, you know, where your family and people like your family, how your utilization patterns should drive network contracting. I would love to see that level of kind of patient driven network contract design. That would be amazing because that would truly be patient centric. Like these are the doctors and physicians. These are the doctors. These are the hospitals. This is what I need in order for me to be successful. So now you ensure you design a reimbursement methodology and any network contract that is applicable to me. Like, I would love to see that level of innovation. I don't think that that's ever going to happen, but I would really, really love to see it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now we're shifting gear. We're downshifting now to have fun because we have Oh, because this a, hasn't been fun at all. We have to have a little bit of fun. <laughs> fun and informative. So, <laughs> the way that I met you was through social media. You were one of the most out there dominating social media rock stars, hashtag healthcare IT, health IT checks, and... Yeah so much of what you're involved in. Tell me how, number one, you got started in social media and also why it's important for the rest of our healthcare community to really understand the true leverage, not just to show up and be there like a me too, but yeah. to really use it sincerely. So I accidentally bumbled my way onto Twitter in 2012. I had just started a new business and 
I was doing well in Jacksonville, but I wanted to understand at a national level what was happening outside of my network and outside of what was going on in my area. And I wanted to expand, right? I wanted to be able to scale. So I thought I would check out this thing called Twitter and see what was happening. And I accidentally bumbled my way into tweet chats. So I accidentally bumbled my way into a tweet chat that takes place on Sunday evenings called Healthcare Social Media. So it's hashtag HCSM. And in that tweet chat, I bumped into three people. So Brian Ahir and Wen Dombrowski and John Lynn. And so I just accidentally found three (laughs) of the most influential and important voices in our industry and in healthcare from a social perspective. They're prolific in their writings. I just happened to bumble into them. And Brian Ahir invited me to attend a Strata RX conference where I was able to meet Tim O'Reilly and Vinod Kushla and Fred Trotter and so many just industry visionaries all through Twitter and all through my engagement on social media. And so it got to be honest, like it was not strategic on my part. I wanted to understand what was happening in the conversation. And I just happened to take to it like a duck to water. I have found over the years now of of using social media that my superhero talent, I guess, if if I had one, right, my superpower would be I'm able to assimilate really vast and diverse data sources, information sources, kind of instantly and distill them down into... 140 characters. 140 characters, (laughs) yes. I mean, 140 characters or conversation. Right. And being able to do that and being able to do it in settings on the fly, so like the tweet chats and those kinds of things... I'm in my element because I can look at what a hundred different people are saying and I can figure out, okay, out of those hundred people, 80 of those people are saying something that I really think is amazing. The 20 of those people are saying something I really disagree with. And so let me see if I can mishmash that together and have something pithy to come back with. Have my George Costanza, my jerk store comeback moment. And it mattered. And so that engagement literally changed my life. And I say that in all seriousness, I'm not being snarked. The ability to leverage healthcare social media, to engage with thought leaders in the industry to identify voices that were very important, who were saying things that really resonated with me, has meant everything. And it changed my career. It put me on the trajectory that I am on now. I can honestly say that I think every opportunity that I've received in the last five years has been 100% due to my involvement in social media. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's not necessary to, if you're not comfortable participating, I think that that's okay. But I think that understanding the mediums and understanding if you want to get a pulse of what is happening that I think Twitter has become an incredible source for news as we've seen at the election right we have seen the power of social media playing out on multiple fronts so go on to Twitter, go on to LinkedIn. There are a number of healthcare thought leaders on LinkedIn who are putting out amazing pieces on a daily basis. And these are outside of your mainstream media. So these are people who are living and working in the industry who can tell you the real story about what's happening and they're right. sharing it with you and they are responsive. So the ability to level the playing field and access someone like Andy Slavitt. I was tweeting back and forth with Andy Slavitt today. How does yeah, Andy Slavitt would never have known who I was, right? I'm this girl from Jacksonville. Like, how does that happen? But we are all equal on the screen. We are all equal, and there's an opportunity to engage and interact with industry leaders, and it's unparalleled. And this opportunity is huge, and everybody should take advantage of it when they can. Mandy, I'm going to quote you. I teach social media to any organization I belong to because they all say, "Joe, you're so great at it." Will you teach? And so I put together a class, and I start with, "Look, this is a career discussion." How many people have changed jobs in the last two years? Half the room, right? Right. Okay. So in the next two years, all of you are going to have new jobs. Guess what? You might be competing with me. Let me tell you about my network. (laughs) Yeah. Just this last two days, Dr. Nick, Nick Atkins, Regina Holiday, Mandy Bishop. Yeah. 
and you got to give and take to be a part of the network. But I have access to all these smart people that yeah. are delivering this great content freely and yeah. for all of us to learn and share. If you don't take advantage of that, somebody is. And guess what? The next time you're going up for a job, it may be somebody who's competing. Exactly. And if you're not participating, they're going to be smarter than you and better connected than you. And you won't get the job. So if you're okay with that, y'all don't have to listen to the rest of the, the social media training. Yep. And But it's a career discussion. It is. And how did we learn before? We learned from books and magazines. Right. Now, I had never met Dr. Nick in person till today. I've seen him speak. Oh, uh, yep. since 2000 something, yeah. you know, at, at hymns uh, and, but it was great to finally meet him in person. Yeah. We talked on And you Twitter. feel like you know each other. Right. Exactly. right? By the time you meet them face to face, like if John Nosta walks up here right now, I'm going to yeah. hug that man. <laughs> yeah, I've exactly. never met him face to face, but he's been on my show three times. He knows what's going on. And I think that's what social media does. It brings down the walls if you are comfortable. But I want to say the key word, if you're sincere. Yes. If you're there just to sell your bag of goods and that's it, yeah. you're not going to survive in social media. Yeah, exactly. Especially Twitter. Well, it's interesting just thinking about the career change thing. So it is as much a career tool and a personal branding opportunity. So I've, in the five years that I've been on Twitter, I've had three different career iterations. But the one thing that is in common is me and my personal brand. And the fact that I have always kind of organically engaged and I don't I don't know how to sell anything. Like selling, <laughs> learning how to sell stuff would be cool. But you are able to organically engage and you're able to be sincere and you're able to be authentic. And as long as you are authentic and you're, you're able to leverage this opportunity and parlay it into something bigger than you ever could have imagined. Sadly, we got to end this conversation. <laughs> That's right. today, yeah. but there needs to be many, many more before we let you go. How do people contact you and learn more about Aloha? Oh, absolutely. So the easiest way to contact me is always through Twitter. So I am at Mandy with an I, B, Pro. So at M-A-N-D-I, B, Pro. I can also be reached at www.aloha.me because healthcare is saying aloha to me as an individual. So we're seeing patients as people. Very cool. Perfect. Thanks. All right, Mandy. Thanks so much for stopping by, sharing your wisdom. We had such a great time. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. Yes, it was. That wraps this live broadcast from Hims. Again, we want to shout out to our sponsor, Experian Health. What a great partner. On behalf of our guest, Mandy Bishop, my co-host, Todd Urey, I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll be back with more Join the Conversation coverage from Orlando. Smarter business decisions, a better bottom line, stronger relationships with patients, That's what more than 3,000 hospitals and health systems and 7,000 other healthcare providers, 60% of all U.S. healthcare organizations, are experiencing as partners of Experian Health. Experian Health provides industry-leading revenue cycle management, identity management, patient engagement, and care management solutions that power opportunities in today's value-based healthcare environment. Find out for yourself by going to www.experian.com forward slash healthcare. Bookmark that site to keep abreast of Experian Health's transformative service offerings.